Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to the first winter weekend's Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb, and good morning, gardeners, particularly those gardeners that are in tune with the seasons and how it affects the garden. Much of Australia during June and August is likely to receive unusually dry, low rainfall. That's a paraphrase from the Bureau of Meteorology's latest weather outlook. And those of you who subscribe to that will understand where that's coming from. But we're going to take a look at uh, what's happening particularly in South Australia. And the person that's going to help us do that is Darren Ray, climatologist here in South Australia, with a very strong focus on what's happening here in Mm. South Australia. And he will uh, discuss what's going to happen during winter and spring and summer and stay ahead uh, of as to what he's likely to be saying in that seasonal change because it'll have a very important effect on gardens. Yes, and uh, get your pencil and paper out or your gardening notes if you like to write down some notes from Darren Ray. We'll catch up with him in just a moment. We'd also love your talkback gardening questions. Of course, we'll get straight into talkback gardening after we speak to Darren. The number to call is 1300 1300 Love your comments on the text line and that is 0467922891. And a little bit later in the program, I have two brand new June ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away with gorgeous orchids on the cover. Uh, so stay tuned for those as well. The Bureau are very bullish about the fact that it's going to be drier and warmer in the months ahead. And before we consider that, let's say good morning to Darren Ray. Yeah, hi, John. Okay, Deb, and to all the listeners out there. All right, and before you consider what lies ahead in terms of uh, winter and, and summer, uh, just uh, going back over the fact that it has been fairly cool and it's also been very, very showery, but it hasn't fallen on everybody. Would you care to just comment as to why we're getting all those showery weather when everybody, or not everybody, but the, the Bureau is, is talking about uh, it's going to be warm and dry? Yeah, it's um, it has been a bit of an interesting interesting month or so, um, and uh, you know we did actually did okay out of out of last month's rainfall. So um, with seventy just over the average, with a touch over the average was 70, 72 millimeters for Adelaide, but um, that certainly wasn't the case further inland. Um, so southern agricultural areas have, have been doing okay. So the bottom of Air Peninsula, York Peninsula, Kangaroo Island, South East, Adelaide um, and Mount Lofty Ranges and the Fourier Peninsula have been doing okay. And um, we're actually, for Adelaide, we're actually, we've had about 100 millimetres of rainfall in the last six weeks or so. And so they're actually, actually running a touch above the average for this year so far, um, accumulating through the year. So, um, but uh, yeah, don't have to go very far inland and just to see that that's, that uh, basically has been restricted to the um, uh, that rainfall has been restricted to the southern southern coastal areas. Could we drill um, on that, that a little bit more, Darren? Uh, we can see the fronts coming across, and as we, if we were in the southern part of the state, uh, we're receiving the showers, and they accumulate and give us a break in the season. But uh, why is it that the uh, fronts are not sort of moving further inland, and and the fronts are not bringing the the rains that we would anticipate yeah so one of the things where um one of the things we've been seeing is that there's been a bit a reasonable amount of cold frontal systems but they've just not had that connection to the tropics that we had um you know, sort of through last year with um with the learning year events so and um so so basically what we're starting to see at the moment is some early signs that indicator of the El Nino event that you mentioned John approaching um, and the rainfall, tending, the atmosphere tending to sink down a little bit more over the tropics and weaker, weaker patchy tropical activity. And so this, um, this system that's around, it's sort of coming through during the weekend. Um, it's trying to inject uh, some moisture down from the tropics and 
um, but it's all being a bit suppressed by the very weak tropical activity. So there's a system there trying to lift rain up and moisture up, but it's just being that the moisture in the atmosphere, middle of the atmosphere is being a bit suppressed. Yes, so it's all a, very patchy and, yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's a very, very uh, simple kind of a solution. We've got the fronts coming across, but you need moisture in feeding from the north uh, to lift up the moisture and, and then make it drop down as, as rain, and that's just not happening. Yeah, spot on. Okay, so let's put that behind us and take a look at for what we're about to receive. Um, the El Nino, again, the Bureau are being very bullish about that, uh, and my understanding is the El Nino in the Pacific has not yet formed. Could you clarify? Yeah, so I'd mentioned we, we've come out of El Nino conditions, so the wet and, wet and milder phase for Australia, um, and we've we've seen, we've seen that over the last couple of months, um, that signal in the middle of the Pacific Ocean uh, go back to neutral very quickly, and then it, there's been warm water developing in the eastern eastern Pacific away from Australia, and so it's a, I mean it's a long way from Australia, but it actually changes the atmospheric circulation right along the tropics, so it actually um, ran into the north of Australia, so. It's a long way away, but it has big impacts on what we uh, what we end up with here in Australia and what what we'll see through the rest of the year. So, um, to and set up the background state for the rest for winter and spring. So basically, um, we've set, started to see the some warm water emerging in the eastern Pacific. So it's all happening as the modelling has been suggesting for the last few months, and uh, really set it starting to edge in towards the um, you know the early initiating states of an El Niño event. And um, there's been some discussion around, um, they're just looking for the right trigger, I think, at the moment to really kick things off. And there's, seems, there's some evidence in the ocean, ocean um, from some satellite, some satellite data that's showing there's some evidence of a, of a wave in the ocean, a Kelvin wave, which is, could actually initiate things over the next four weeks. So that's something to something watch out for. We actually might be in, might be in uh, the start of the event by the, by the time we talk next month. Yes, well, well, to keep an eye on that particular one. But uh, let's start to look at winter in detail, if we may, Darren. Um, June, you mentioned that uh, there's uh, some showers or what looks like showers coming our way early in the month. Uh, just take us through uh, June in terms of uh, rainfall and then also uh, temperatures. So yeah, so in terms of tropical activity, it's it's pretty weak and patchy at the moment, and um, so there's been a touch of uh, touch of tropical activity around right just the last few days, but it's just really struggling to do much. Um, there's a little bit that comes around just uh, around about the 18th or so, um, so there's a little bit of a chance of some rainfall just after mid month, um, and then it uh, does pick up again uh, towards the end of end of June and through the first half of July. So it's a, yeah, just very weak and patchy, and um, we've got some coral frontal systems. So there's a, there's a low-pressure system winding up um, next week, and um, just not huge amounts of rainfall out of it um, because of that, that sort of lack of tropical linkage. That's a bit worrying, from uh, uh, particularly from those that are probably missing out on a lot of the rain that we've had here in the southern areas. Would you care to comment on the likelihood of a good soaking rain working its way through the, the agricultural areas that have been missing out? Is that uh, a possibility or it's not? Uh, um, I mean, there's this, the low-pressure low system next week is going to be a bit interesting. It'll, um, it, you know, it'll be relatively widespread, but once again, just a bit patchy, and that's really the um, you know, picking up on that sort of general theme we're seeing at the moment. The, so the Southern, Southern Oscillation Index has gone a bit negative, which is an, another early sign of El Nino, and that's the, an indication of that suppression of the, the moisture formation in the middle levels of the atmosphere. So, yeah, so everything's a bit patchy, and, and it's, you know, there'll be, there'll be st stuff coming through, but it's going to be a bit bitsy and a bit... Um, so, yeah, not, the, not really coming together in the wide soaking rain that people would be, be hoping for. But does that mean that we're going to have a below-average rainfall for june darren yeah um well uh, yeah i think so i think so deb it's um i mean once again the, the modeling is going for about about 30 millimeters um and uh, yeah so it's it does look pretty patchy um i mean there's there's looking like there'll be another 10 15 millimeters for adelaide through the next week or so then it'll probably get a bit quiet through the through the middle of the month and then come in again the last week 
So something around 30, 40 millimetres. OK, well, 30 or 40 millimetres, that's not even half our normal June rainfall. Adelaide, I think, is 71 millimetres for June. In fact, uh, mm. um, it's, uh, it's supposed to be our wettest month. So, mm. OK, so uh, that's June, and uh, you're saying showers towards the end of June, and then we move into July, and showers early in July, and then I think I interrupted you. <laughs> What's the rest uh, of July going to be like? Yeah, so um, so the first so the the rain and the so the tropical activity looks like it'll be around the first half of July, particularly the second week looks like it could be the best chance for sort of some decent rain, um, and then the second half looks very suppressed and very dry, and actually looks um, I mean temperatures start warming up a little bit more above average through July and into August, and that's so that's the general theme, John is. Um, um, you know, we're expecting at some point through winter that we probably will go into the El Nino event. And that starts seeing increasingly the impacts of that. So increasing suppression of rainfall, temperatures, you know, clearer clearer skies, lighter winds. Um, and so tendency towards warmer days. Um, and uh, yeah, that, um, that's increasing, that signal emerges increasingly as we go through winter. And uh, July look, looks, looks below average. Um, August looks below average and increasingly warmer. And um, so, the, just this picture of this emerging tendency towards drier and wetter conditions, sorry, drier and warmer conditions as we go through winter and into into spring. Yeah. And um, so, so, so I expect by the time we get to the end of winter, we'll probably have about two thirds, maybe, of our average winter rainfall. So okay. about yeah, two thirds. Could, could you give us an idea? Uh, what's uh, uh, say Adelaide's winter rainfall normally, and if we get two thirds of that? Yeah, uh, so around the two hundred millimetre mark. So. Um, uh, and I suspect we'll, yeah, we'll probably end up around 120 or so, um, looking at everything. And then, um, and so into spring, and this is really the, um, really sort of, really where we start to see the impact of the El Nino and, and also in positive in the ocean dipole conditions. So that hot, dry phase of indulation that's important for South Australia kicking in. And, um, and so temperatures in spring look, look particularly warm. So we'll start, things will start warming up very quickly and um, temperatures will probably progress maybe four or five weeks earlier than that were last year. So you're so suggesting people, that the temperatures that we'd normally get in September are going to start appearing in August? Um, yeah, well, com in the, compared to the temperatures we've seen in the last three years with those La Nina and negative IOD conditions, yeah. So I think things will probably be a month or so earlier at least um, than they what have been the last three uh, three springs with drier conditions we also uh, get frosts what's the frost scenario like during winter particularly late winter and spring that critical time when the the plants are starting to move into their spring mode yeah it's yeah great point john um i mean those sort of stronger high pressure systems clearer skies lighter winds so the areas where the soils are dry um will uh, that also contributes as well so if you've got dry soils um, clear skies, light winds at night, that can be conducive to, uh, to frost events. Um, so, so interesting, the average yeah, overall temperatures are during the day a bit warmer, but the nights can be a little bit frostier, in, uh, particularly the soils are quite dry. All right, so we're getting maybe uh, towards the end of August, we're getting uh, September temperatures. Just work us through uh, September and October uh, in terms of, uh, first of all, temperatures and then rainfall. So, so it all looks, yeah, it all looks um, uh, above average temperatures as is typical for an El Nino positive IOD combination. And so really that's, um, you know, there's some, some risk of early heat wave activity in, in this spring. And, um, and also, uh, you know, things drying out pretty quickly as well. So temperatures look pretty warm, particularly over the interior of, uh, interior of South Australia, so further inland. Um, and so it looks just look like we'll probably see you know, the fire season kicking off um, earlier than usual. So um, and and protect this, but and in this sort of year, there's there's quite significant potential for for nasty a nasty fire season. So you know, really, I guess one of the major messages for people, particularly in the hills, is um, um, you know they want to be cleaning up as they go through winter and you know, early in spring to right. uh, prepare for what could be a nasty fire season. Yes, and now's the time to do that preparation rather than waiting till it's on us. From a gardening point of view, we've been talking about uh, the potential of gathering uh, leaves that are soggy and, and uh, holding onto those and using mulch. Uh, maybe uh, in, from a gardening point of view, uh, 
the need to conserve moisture, fill up the tanks, make sure that we've got plenty of mulch standing by. Yeah, exactly, John. And uh, and I, I think so. Winter rainfall is looking maybe two thirds average. Spring's looking like about half the average for um, for this year. So. Very different spring to last year is really probably the key message at this point. In past El Nino years, we've had in September temperatures suddenly spiking into the 30s, mid-30s even. Uh, uh, Is it likely we're going to get an occasional spike very early? Yeah, that's exactly, yep. That's very much on the cards this year. The the temperatures in the modelling look quite quite a long way above average in spring. Perhaps, uh, yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, so, certainly something to watch out for. And um, it's a very different spring this year to what we've experienced yes. in the last well, three years. Well, forewarned is forearmed, uh, Darren. And you're saying that uh, that's what we're about to receive. Um, coming back to perhaps a more practical point of view, tomatoes. Uh, we agonise as to whether we plant our tomatoes uh, uh, early in September or late September or last season, of course, those who put their tomatoes in in October probably turned out the best. When are you going to plant your tomatoes? Uh, I'll, be, um, yeah, I'll be getting in early this year. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, it's, it is looking like it'll, it'll be at least a month earlier than, than last year. So... Uh, that's probably a good guide for people Again, who want to get Again, that's an things. important head-ups for the garden centres. Uh, they need to uh, perhaps be aware that uh, people will be wanting uh, seedlings much earlier than, than they have in the past. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Uh, and that's one thing. And, and it's, it's probably one of the things, John. We've gotten used to three three winter springs now of relatively wet and um, and mild conditions. And we're, gonna, we're looking like we'll see something very different this year. So... It's been a bit of a shift in people's, um, in lots of ways for people's uh, activities. Darren, Gary wants a little bit of a summary at the end about the next three months. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that for June, July and August, the three winter months, you're saying below average rainfall and above average temperatures? Yeah, so that I think that sort of, you know, two thirds of the average rainfall is it's probably a good, good uh, figure f- to apply widely and and then uh, about 50% of spring rainfall and, and warmer than average temperatures in winter and increasing very much the case in spring. And in terms of heat waves, it's a long time since we've had a heat wave here in Adelaide, Three over three years where we haven't had those really hot, dry weather periods. Uh, what's the likelihood of heat waves this time? Um, so I did look out through the modelling uh, right out through to into December and uh, and it's actually got things warming up quite quickly in November. Uh, so second half of November, it uh, warms up really quick, quite quickly. And seeing sort of uh, temperature signals in the modelling that were present in sort of January last year, I've been the modelling um, in November this year, the second half of November. So um, yeah, it does warm up very quickly. So you know, um, yeah. If you need, if you're looking out for a new air conditioner, uh, uh, winter's the good time to go out and look for some bargains. That's a good idea, and uh, lots of work to be done, as you said, through winter and uh, into spring around the gardens to prepare for what sounds like a, a bit of a frightening summer period ahead. Darren, thank you for bringing us the good oil. Uh, Always appreciate your input at the beginning of every month here on Talkback Gardening. Thanks so much for joining us. Darren, Good yes. Thanks, thanks, Deb. Yeah, thanks, thank so. you. And we look forward to talking to you on the first Saturday of next month. Deb, it, it's yeah. pretty frightening, isn't it? And uh, certainly, I think, by being forewarned, an opportunity to say, well, maybe I will go and I'll buy that extra tank and I'll get that tank full of water before it all dries out mm. uh, and, and think seriously about how you're actually going to mulch your gardens. If you're going to grow uh, particularly uh, fruit trees and vegetables, what kind of a mulch are you going to do? Uh, use? What kind of material are you going to get and where will you get it from? I think those are the, these are the kind of things that we need to be thinking very seriously about right now. Yes, and with our deciduous trees losing their leaves at the moment, a good time to at least harvest those and utilise them in the season ahead. Um, thank you for the text, says Sedan. Um, I'm going to say blooming dry. I think you know what the other word was. A 55 millimetres for the year, 50% of average. Um, and Larry says, whilst I haven't pruned my roses yet, they are starting to bud. So 
strange things are happening in people's gardens. Yes, and we'll try and cover as much of uh, the topical type of uh, issues as we possibly can, things like frost uh, prevention and and, uh, uh, how you can just work with the season and as the season uh, changes uh, we can certainly uh, gather the right kind of information Mm. and if you've got particular issues you'd like us to look at or uh, research or gather information uh, get particular speakers on uh, particular issues uh, send us a text we'd love to be able to respond we would indeed or you can email at adelaideweekends at abc.net.au we'll return to your general talk back gardening calls now so please ring in on 1300 222891 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Love to hear from you. If you've got a question, I know lots of people will be out in their gardens this weekend. The phone number is 1300 222891. Jenny is in Summerton Park. Got a bit of a problem with your box hedge, Jenny. Good morning. Good morning. Deb and John. Yes, it's a box. It's about a metre high. It's re- reasonably well established. It's died off in patches and yellowing. Somebody suggested that it was um, a box of blight. What do we do? Um, well, I think maybe you need to consider, do you need a box, an English box hedge? Um, Many people have discovered that it's the English box is the one that's the problem. You get a nice little row and all of a sudden uh, every third plant turns brown. And uh, it's not, uh, a, to my knowledge, a particular fungal disease or bacterial problem. It's just that they have, uh, uh, they're not uh, in tune to South Australia's soils and climate and they are more likely to suffer and uh, you often get whether it's overwatering can cause them to suddenly collapse. Uh, uh, getting on the drier side can also cause problems and, and uh, so you've almost got to be very, very careful in how you look after them. On the other hand, the Japanese box and the Korean box are two uh, types of uh, hedges, or they can make brilliant hedges, and they have much greater tolerance to the adverse conditions that uh, the English box finds so difficult to understand. So uh, I don't, I'm not aware of a miracle cure. There's nothing that you can put on that's going to magically bring them back to life or stop them. It's just a matter of if you've got an English box hedge, look after it carefully, make sure it's mulched, make sure you uh, fertilise it probably in springtime and also uh, early in autumn and uh, just don't let it become stressed. Mm. We inherited it, so if it goes, it goes, I suppose. um... Yeah, well, think now about uh, how you're going to maybe replace that in the future and uh, uh, go to a garden centre and say, can I have a look at what uh, a, a, a Japanese box looks like and how does that differ from a Korean box? And the leaf, they're all green leaves, but they're different shapes and sizes. And uh, it may be, you say, right, oh, in two years' time, I'm going to sort of uh, get rid of these and, and, and uh, replant, but it might be a good time to buy your Japanese or Korean box in small sizes and then look after them carefully until they become bigger and in two years' time you've got a a, a sizable plant uh, but you've started off with almost a little seedling. Well, thank you. Thank Thank you you for calling in, Jenny. Uh, Good to hear from you and uh, sorry to hear about your box hedge. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Now, John, you said if you would like to hear about something specific, send us a text. And I said, or you can email us. Uh, This text says, would be great to hear from a nematodes expert. Oh, yes. So pop that on your list, please. (laughs) (laughs) Nematodes, yep. The uh, Department of Agriculture, or SARDI now, have wonderful... uh, um, researchers and uh, cereal cyst nematode was a major issue for farmers some 20 years ago and I was very much involved with uh, getting the latest information from the researchers at Saudi and taking that out to the farmers so let's see if we can't do the same thing people are growing lots of tomatoes if you grow tomatoes in the same place or you grow certain plants uh, in the same place year after year you'll end up with uh, a root knot nematode and uh, it's it's uh, difficult to control and uh, we'll 
we'll take a look at what we can find from Saudi and bring that back to you in the near future. Great suggestion. Thank you for that. And speaking of farmers, John, this texter says that report is scary, Darren's report. I wonder what kind of hay season we will get with below average rainfall and a possible heat wave in November when hay is usually cut. Scary for us farmers with livestock. But bear in mind that farmers are very, very astute and they have had, uh, most of them, a lot of them have had very good seasons and uh, uh, sometimes it's a matter of putting the hay aside Mm. for the days that we're going to have where you don't make hay. But as you said earlier, forewarned is forearmed, so that's what Darren's very helpful in doing. Let's go to North Adelaide now. Now, Judith, uh, you want to know about watering lemon trees. Hello. Good morning, Deb and John. Yes, my lemon and lime trees are dropping leaves, and I'm just suspecting I may be giving them too much water. Right. And uh, can you give me a description of the colour of the leaves and well it, they're very healthy they're, they're bright green very healthy leaves and so. it's it's the green leaves that are dropping yes yeah, yeah. have you yes. fertilised it in the last two or three weeks no no okay that's alright uh, that's nothing I like know, <laughs> an overdose of a fertiliser yes. uh, to yes. make leaves drop uh, usually when you're, you're getting over uh, underwatering in particular but even overwatering the leaves will go yellow before they drop right. So right. if they are, if the green leaves are dropping, there's something that's seriously wrong. Uh, oh. Could it be that you've got say a, a gutter and the water is sort of a, is more water than you're applying is flowing towards the, the the lemon trees? No, no, because they're on a watering system. Okay, right. And, uh, and and it's only I increased the. Um, what do you call it, the hose that goes around the watering system yes. when we went away in summer right uh, to uh, make sure they had enough water, and I think I haven't adjusted it back on. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Okay, well, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, you're, I you're, so. you're, yeah. you're providing uh, it with summer watering, and here it is, it's, right. it's winter. Uh, okay, yeah. well, you need to turn that off and uh, just watch it. Don't let the uh, soil dry out, but probably no. uh, uh, I wouldn't be watering them at all during winter. Um, no. It's important, I think, to get used to looking at the soil. The soil will tell you whether it's wet or dry. Get a little mm. trowel uh, that you can yes. use and, and get into the habit of uh, once a month uh, just digging a little hole with a trowel and you only need to go down, say, 20 centimetres. And if it's soggy wet there, don't water. And when it's dry 20 centimetres down, make sure you do water. Well, thank you very much, John. I love your program. Oh, well, I love pre- presenting it. So <laughs> a win-win yeah. round for everyone. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Judith, for calling in. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Joe is in Salisbury Heights. Joe, you want to know when to fertilise your garlic? Oh. Yeah, good morning. Good morning, Devin John. Yeah, look, uh, my garlic's been uh, for about five weeks. It's about 200, 250 mil uh, tall. Uh, and uh, the soil was prepared, you know, with all very organically and, and you know, uh, done all the right things there. But now I'm just thinking, uh, do I give it a little top up with something or what do you think, John? If you've got good soil preparation, I think yep. you don't need to do anything until uh, we start to get uh, uh, warmer weather. Garlic, right. uh, it, it has different phases. When you plant it, it's, it develops a root system. And the bigger root system you can get very early in, in its growth phase, the more leaves you'll get and the bigger garlic you'll end up with at the end of the season. But uh, if you've prepared the soil well and started early, five weeks ago, probably, I won't say it's late, but next year, put your garlic in in March rather than uh, uh, May we come back to your problem now, is don't fertilise until we start to get warmer weather in, well, we, I can say in September. It may be August this year. So when okay. you can see that uh, the leaves are starting to uh, grow and, and expand in size, that's the time to give it a little uh, fertiliser fix. But don't use, yeah, don't use straight yep. nitrogen. Use a good balanced fertiliser for vegetables and uh, I would be using a liquid form of that a a liquid probably uh, it doesn't matter whether it's liquid or uh, manufactured if you're using manufactured don't use more than the recommendations it'll cause bigger problems but uh, fertilize when you see the growth starting in springtime and don't overdo it 
Uh, if you get uh, too much fertiliser on, you'll have lots of leaves and you won't get the uh, nice garlic underneath the leaves. Something like a power feed or something like that, or it would, when it liquid drops? Yep, yep, uh, yep. It, that's, that would be absolutely ideal. There's lots of things. Uh, uh, yep. they're, they're seaweed-based or they're fish-based uh, would be absolutely ideal. I remember a few, uh, a few uh, well, a, a long time ago, you said blood and bone was good. Interesting, isn't it? I haven't used the w- phrase blood and bone <laughs> no. for, a long time. <laughs> Not uh, for a long time. I won't say it's going off the market, but there are oh. uh, uh, technology has, has uh, probably come to our aid and there are f- nutri- nutrients out there, fertilisers in particular, that are designed to give you the right balance and also uh, the quantity that you want and in a, what I term a form that's available to the plant. With blood and yeah. bone, you get a lot of nitrogen and you get a lot of phosphorus uh, and uh, sometimes it takes a while for the phosphorus to become available and it doesn't have too much potash in it at all. So um, oh. it, it's a good uh, background kind of a fertiliser. It's a good fertiliser to use probably when you're preparing the soil. But I, yeah. I think uh, from my point of view, there are much better better nutrients out there Mm. for your plants great thank you for your advice thanks joe for calling in good to hear from you Uh, just coming back to the english box hedge for a moment john on the text line this texter says the english box plants can hide very well cottony cushion scale says check deep inside the foliage on stems yes that's right Uh, the plant just doesn't tolerate uh, adverse conditions and once it starts to uh, uh, go into stress Insects like the uh, scale and cottony cushions uh, uh, insects, they say, righto, let's invade. And so uh, it's quite likely that your English box are being plagued by all kinds of insects and fungal problems more so than you would the other type of box. Pat, in Somerton Park, you would like to prune your apple tree. Hello. Oh, hello. I don't know about like to. I desperately need to. Um, (laughs) It's, um, it looks more like a bush. It's never really... Oh, I've had it uh, done a couple of times. All I did was just chop the top off, which has made it more and more bushy, and it's very, very tall. Um, we get lots of apples, but they're all eaten by whoever. Um, and it's, it's just a mess. And I thought, well, I wonder when is a good time to start chopping bits off of it Well, try and get it... Most uh, books that you read from 20 or 30 years ago say prune your apple trees in winter and I think we're discovering that probably uh, you don't need to prune your apples too much and if you want to uh, do hard pruning to reshape and reorganise it that's much better carried out in summer. Uh, Winter pruning is more for uh, light pruning and pruning for for fruit. Uh, Do you know what apple variety you've got there Pat? Um, it's mainly Granny Smith's, absolutely delicious if you can get them before the animals. Um, and there's another one that's growing from it, which is a little red apple, All beautiful right. eating apple. All right, we're trying to sort of give you uh, what to, how to prune it over the air uh, without having a good look of it. It's a bit difficult there, Pat. Um, so do you want to uh, reshape the size of it or do you want it... Oh, look, I- yeah, that's what I would love to do, but yeah. I've got vertigo, so I can't climb on a ladder. Yes, okay. So I have to... What I'd suggest is uh, try and get, uh, if you ring up your council um, and uh, say, are there people that uh, can come and look after my tree? But if you want to do shaping, reshaping, and it sounds like that your tree needs reshaping, you need to reduce the number of branches or maybe reduce the size of the branches, don't do it during winter, otherwise it'll go back to the shape it is now. If you prune maybe in December or January, now bearing in mind you need to be careful of uh, heat wave conditions, but uh, summer pruning will allow you to reshape the tree as you want to or as it needs. And I think you probably need people, somebody with good pruning expertise to be able to come mm. and help you do that. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'll leave it alone at the moment then. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Help. Thanks, Pat, for calling in. And just returning to blood and bone for a moment, uh, Lulu on the text line says, can it be used on leaves? We've been talking about harvesting your leaves at the moment. When you're creating oh, your, okay. your yes, uh, as compost a, yeah, pile. Sure. Uh, 
the one of the, the big disadvantages of blood and bone is a lot of the fertilizers you use nowadays um, they are soluble and so a certain amount of the nutrients will go straight into the plant through the leaves or taken up immediately by the roots but blood and bone if you put it onto the leaves it might burn the leaves and if you put it in the soil it's got to be broken down by the myriads of little microbes into a form that the plant can use it so the reaction uh, to blood and bone from a plant point of view is delayed uh, I'm not saying it's not a good nutrient um, but uh, in terms of improving your soggy leaves absolutely brilliant because it'll give you uh, uh, that nitrogen or give the leaves the nitrogen fix which the little microbes will mm. love and the phosphorus also would be very very valuable just bear in mind if you want to use it to improve the uh, quality of the soil put on a little bit of potash when you're uh, preparing your vegetables or trees because the blood and bone has the nitrogen and the phosphorus but not the potash and plants need potash. Thank you, Lulu. Uh, excellent point to raise. We are Talkback Gardening. You are welcome to join us. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And don't forget, I've got a couple of brand new June ABC Gardening Australia magazines with orchids on the cover to give away a little bit later in the program. Let's stay with Pats this morning. This Pat is in West Beach with a chrysanthemum question. Welcome, Pat. Oh, hello. Um, yes, I was given uh, chrysanthemums and three in a pot, three different colours. Pot's only about 20 centimetres. Now, I want to uh, transplant them, I guess. How can I do that and keep them alive? Do you want to keep, the, you're going to put them in, keep them in pots or are they destined for the garden? No, I was going to keep them in pots. All right. And uh, they're in three... Are three plants in one pot or are there three individual no. plants in three individual pots? Three plants in one pot. In so one I'm pot. thinking <laughs> their roots will be very intertwined. That's right, yes. Right. Up. And uh, like, presumably the flowers have died down. So still no, got... no, the flowers are still lovely. Oh, okay. Well, enjoy. Um, just keep uh, them flowering away and so uh, uh, they look good. When uh, probably in the middle of winter you'll find that the flowers will fade and even the, die, the leaves will start to dry back. Um, as the, le the flowers start to die, make sure that you uh, don't overwater the soil because if it becomes soggy, uh, the, you'll get root rot and the plants will die. But if you just keep the soil nice and moist after the leaves have died back, uh, just put them somewhere in, where they're getting good light but not too much water or rain. And uh, in probably early in August, you can take those three plants out of the one pot, break right. them into three individual little pieces and put them into uh, three individual pots. Or else if you could get a nice... And, and those pots need to be probably be about 10 or 15 centimetres wide each one. And if you right. do that early in spring, you'll have three lovely plants. Alternatively, you can get your three plants, pull them apart so that they're separate, but uh, put the three plants into a much larger container, something that's about uh, uh, 30 centimetres across. Just put three plants in a 30 centimetre container early in spring and you'll find that they'll take off and um, you'll probably... Uh, if you look after them, sometime in early autumn you should get more flowers. Oh, that's, that would be a lovely idea. That's what I would like, to <laughs> keep them as the three. All right, we'll give it a go. Yes, good. And, and do chrysanthemums die back? You can't keep them alive for, you know, years. No, they're a perennial plant, and a perennial plant, uh, it comes up with new leaves, uh, it flowers, the flowers die down, the leaves die down, uh, but the root system, system stays alive, and uh, what you just need to be in tune with that life cycle, and with a chrysanthemum, they'll die down during winter, and in springtime, uh, you'll see new little stems coming from the root system, if you've looked after it, and it's a nice healthy root system. Uh, if nothing happens, that just means that it's been too wet during winter. Thanks, Pat. Good luck with that project. Jeff's in Norwood and wants to transplant one of John's favourite trees, a crepe myrtle. Hello, Jeff. Uh, hello, Deb and John. Um, I, I just uh, have a question for John. 
um, I've got a um, pretty 50-year-old crate Merkel, uh, and unfortunately it's got to go, um, uh, which is sad. And I, uh, um, I don't have the, the money of a crane coming in an arborist. If, if, I, if I dug out as much of the root ball as I, as I can and cut the, cut the tree back, uh, the, the, like the tree divides into three uh, heavy, very heavy branches, yep. very down down low. And if I if I cut them right back to say a, a foot or so, the, the three of them, and replanted, is there any likelihood of it reshooting? I reckon you've got a good chance there, Jeff. You sound like you're a good gardener. Um, did you say that the tree was fifty years old? Yeah. Okay, right. Well, just bear in mind, uh, you'll find that a 50-year-old uh, crepe myrtle will have most of its feeder roots probably um, two or three metres away from the trunk. So when you dig it up, uh, you'll find that there are big, fat uh, roots there, and they're more likely to be stability roots. Um, so uh, come out and, and take as much of the root system as you possibly can, and uh, if you come out, say, half a metre um or even a bit more from all round it, and then uh, if you dig round, if you do this during winter, it's dormant. So it doesn't matter if you uh, uh, mess up the root system a little bit, but what you want is not just uh, the big fat roots underneath the main trunk, you need little side roots and hopefully some little hair roots as well, because they're the things that'll get going. But the concept is quite sound. I think if you chop back into the, uh, you've got your main trunk and you've got your three branches coming out of that, you've chopped back into those, chop those so there might be a stem of about 20 centimetres of your secondary branches, chop everything else off, um, chip it all up and make it into mulch and uh, be take as much of the root system as you possibly can and even if you uh, took most of the soil away uh, to lighten the load, you could move it and so long as you do it before autumn, uh, before uh, August, bearing in mind that Darren is saying that we're going to have probably spring conditions in August, I would be prepared to move it in early August rather than late August. And if you do that, I think you've got a pretty good chance of uh, uh, it'll, it might sit there uh, and do nothing probably for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden you'll see little shoots coming out from everywhere and it'll be up to you then to retrain it as a tree that you want. Oh well, that's that's that's, that's, that's uh, excellent. Then, um, just have another quick question. Oh no, Jeff, we're not going to have time for a second <laughs> question. Sorry on Talkback Gardening, but um, I hope that goes well. Moving the crepe myrtle. Meredith is in Kingston with a Manchurian pear tree question. Hi, Meredith. Oh, look, good morning. Um, hope you're both well. I've just got a bit of a problem with two trees that have ended up being much larger than I expected. So in the front garden, I've got a Queensland box tree and in the back garden, some Manchurian pear. And I'm looking at having them reduced in size and I'm just wondering what sort of the tree-friendly amount would be that I could have them cut back in terms of height and size of foliage and that sort of thing. All right. Your Queensland boxes, that's uh, evergreen or that's... Yeah, evergreen, that's, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, the Manchurian pear, um, yes. if you chop it back in winter, it'll go back to the same size it was. So you right. need to prune your Manchurian pear in that probably uh, uh, early summer period or oh, maybe right. your uh, late summer period. I, I wouldn't do yes. it in the middle of summer, considering okay. what Darren Ray is suggesting. But uh, right. you, you need to do that in, in summer, and if you cut it back hard then, it will not respond uh, nearly as vigorously as if you cut it back hard during winter. As for your right. Queensland box, that's evergreen, and I would suggest you do nothing to that and in springtime, you can cut it back to whatever shape you want and it will come away. The harder you prune, the more it will come away. Okay. Oh, good. That's very helpful. Thank uh, you very much. All right. Thanks, Meredith. Okay. Easy solved. <laughs> Appreciate the call. Um, we are Talk Back Gardening and I have got a couple of uh, brand new June ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away right now. If you haven't won anything from our station in the last month, then please call in on 1300 991. But we're making you work for it. The question we're asking is, what is on the cover 
of the June edition. What is on the cover of the June edition? One three hundred triple two eight nine one. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Yes, and thank you for your calls. Lots of people will tell you who the winners are in just a moment and what the answer to the question of what is on the cover of ABC Gardening Australia magazines is. But, John, where are our soil temperatures sitting at the moment, given that we've got this very unusually warm first weekend of winter? Yes, well, they have been declining slowly. Uh, last week, uh, they were sitting around about 12.5 degrees centigrade, and this week they're 12.1 degrees centigrade. Now, that's at the depth of 20 centimetres. The soil temperatures I get from living turf uh, come in each week, and they are, all, they are for 10 centimetres and 20 centimetres. And we've been focusing mainly on the 10 centimetres because if people are putting in new seedlings, that's where the roots are. But from about now on, we'll focus on the 20 centimetre depth, simply because the 20 centimetres, it'll gradually keep on being constant. The 10 centimetres will vary considerably from now on, because if we get cold nights, the temperature will drop very, very quickly. Or if we get warm days, it also will go at very two or three degrees from one week to the next. Uh, and so, uh, uh, yeah, bear in mind that the temperatures are going down. By July, they'll be at their minimum temperature. They've got another, uh, at 12.1, they've got another degree to drop. And uh, then, uh, hopefully, if they start to rise again, it'll be fascinating to watch soil temperatures as uh, the El Nino kicks in and its effect then. So uh, keep an eye on what's happening with soil temperatures. They're the things, uh, soil temperatures is what drives plant growth. And uh, if we see that the soil temperatures are increasing rapidly in August, that's a signal to maybe start to go. Anyway, more of that later as it happens. Uh, Congratulations to, I think it's Gisela, I could be wrong, or Gisela in Fulham Gardens and Sue in Allenby Gardens. Both of them knew that orchids are on the cover of the ABC Gardening Australia magazine. Now, I focus this morning, John's been on deciduous trees and the leaves that they produce and the fact that we need to harvest them, particularly in the light of what Darren Ray has had to say about what lies in store for us, a drier and unfortunately warmer winter ahead. From a plant point of view, we're at that changeover period. Um, During summer and autumn, the plants are growing, but for the deciduous plants, they're uh, dropping their leaves and they're dormant. And so you'll find that at the garden centres where they had lots and lots of evergreens up near the front, uh, you'll see the deciduous trees, roses, bare-rooted roses and bare-rooted fruit trees and bare-rooted ornamentals. And it just means that while they're dormant, you can do almost anything to them without damaging the root system and they'll start to come into that new growth in springtime or maybe late winter. And uh, so just be aware that uh, it's the beginning of of, uh, winter and many garden centres are still waiting for their supplies. But I've been told that there are uh, the first wave of roses have arrived and most garden centres have got their roses or some roses, and I've been assured by Bell Hanna Nurseries, who supply a big percentage of the fruit trees to garden centres, that by next weekend or before next weekend, they'll have a full supply of fruit trees, both the, uh, the tall ones as well as the dwarf ones and take a look at the supplies of those. Now be aware that it's early in the season, people will be wanting the best picks and often the most popular varieties sell out uh, before the end of winter mm. so uh, you'll find that if you've got fruit trees and I'll be do I've been told by Sam uh, Luke who will be our guest next week from Belhanna nursery talking about deciduous fruit trees uh, that uh, the country areas have been supplied they should have their fruit trees by now and during early this week uh, the most of the garden centers will have their supplies of uh, their deciduous fruit trees that is fantastic and just uh, in relation to um, the leaves we been talking about and what we can use them for obviously preparing for our compost and and mulches for the months ahead sue says how resourceful are dried gum leaves can you use them in the same way as deciduous leaves if you use them as a mulch yeah 
Um, they'll just break down very, very slowly. And probably the only downside is if you have a big mulch of, uh, of gum leaves um, and then trying to sow radish seeds or sow, sow some seeds in there, they, they mightn't grow because uh, there are allelopathic uh, chemicals in the leaves and they might just leach out and, and uh, they'll be in the top couple of centimetres and you put in the seed there and, and the seed won't germinate. But uh, if you want to use them as a mulch, they'll break down very, very slowly. You can add them to your compost. Bearing in mind, if you're putting in the compost, they're mainly just uh, organic material. Um, they'll break down very, very slowly because they're hard. And uh, just don't use too much of the leaf. If you're making compost, no more than, say, 10 or 15% leaves as well as uh, mixing it up with your, your other kind of leaves and lawn clippings and things like that. But, right. yeah, uh, it, it's organic. It can be used. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. And Annie on the text line says, am I too late to plant sweet peas and broad beans? It's getting late, but it's, I won't say it's never too late. Yeah. You can put in your sweet peas now if you wanted to, and they will uh, germinate. It just means that uh, they'll probably come into flower a little bit later than normal. They normally start flowering in early September, and they might sort of be flowering in mid-September, and if we get hot weather, they'll get knocked off very, very quickly. So that's the sweet peas. Broad beans, yeah, you can certainly put those in. Go for dwarf broad beans, otherwise... If you put in ordinary beans, they'll grow tall and get blown over, but certainly a good time to put in dwarf broad beans. And just on that, I've got in my hot hand here the Winter Garden Guide, which is in your... Good gardening, Good gardening newsletter. newsletter. Yeah, I often get emails saying, "Could we please put in uh, in the w- each week in the news- newsletter uh, what to plant?" Uh, well, we don't do that. But the, at the beginning of each month, the first week in uh, of each month, you'll find a, f- a very detailed uh, planting guide of what to plant in terms of veggies and fruit trees and herbs, <laughs> all those kind of things. Mm. But uh, and it, it's just part of the newsletter, and you just click on the guide where it says uh, "planting guide," and up it comes two pages of information. Well, if you want some examples of a bit of unseasonality, uh, John, Gail on the text line says, I still have healthy cherry tomato plants in my wicking beds producing fruit, (laughs) although ripening is slowing, still getting enough for a daily salad. It just shows you what some people can do. It's true. And Wolf in Woodcroft, or is it Wolf or Wolf, I'm not sure, uh, says, some of my roses have developed large, healthy buds. I think they'll be in blossom by the end of the week. Is that normal at this time of year? You'll find that the buds will swell up and they might just sit there and not break. But if we do get a period of warm temperatures, particularly soil temperatures, you might find that we're going to have an early spring for roses. There you go. And just finally, David Mount Pleasant said, had 106 mils rain up here in the hills, Mount Pleasant. So just to to end where we started on the issue of rainfall. Well, I reckon that's going to be a fascinating season, a good season for gardening, I hope. And until (laughs) next week when we talk to Sam Luke from Belhanna Nurseries, good gardening.